All right. Welcome, amazing people, to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I'm chatting with Bobby, who is a prolific heart-based leader. Inc. Magazine named him one of the top 100 leadership speakers alongside Richard Branson, Brene Brown, and John Maxwell. Bobby is a five-time TEDx speaker and has been named the second best business coach to follow on Twitter and the fourth best leadership influencer, according to Cred. He has written two books, including number one bestseller and is a Huffington Post contributor. He hosted a weekly tweet chat called The Power of Connection that reached over 65 million impressions weekly. And to date, his social media influence has generated over a billion impressions. That's that's a serious amount of eyeballs, Bobby. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Happy to be here. You know, I have to ask you, you know, in a, in a world of social media and, you know, likes and impressions and all of that, like, I'd, I'd love to know, you know, what do those numbers mean to you personally? Well, I think for me, uh, one of my big objectives as part of my vision and mission is to um, impact hearts, right? To make people feel good or empowered or, you know, invested in or supportive and things like that. And so for me, um, knowing that I've had that impact um, is makes me feel good and makes me feel like it's the work I'm doing is, has value. And, and uh, I think that's a really good thing. But then I find what's really more important that really helpful is when I get those one-on-one messages or someone come up to me and they really say how my work or something I've done has really inspired them to do something different. And I see the actual change that's happening. Uh, that that's like the best stuff that ever happens. Yeah. It's that whole, you know, online to offline experience. I mean, we we live in a really yeah. fortunate world where we can reach a lot of people online, um, which, you know, has its benefits obviously. And then, but then there's those beautiful moments in person, um, which is where I first, you know, saw you at some of the LinkedIn locals and, and some other haste and hustle. I believe I was there for the first conference when I was doing some of the research I saw you and then I remember I'm like I did see that guy (laughs) so (laughs) it's funny how it goes full circle Um, but Bobby you know what I'll back it up a little bit and and just just to set some context uh, I'd love to know a little bit you know we'll get into what you do and whatnot but who are you as as a person you know how would you define uh, what Bobby's all about well you know um, I think it goes back to just being what I call a connector, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always been the type of person that was a social center of my family or my friends. I was the huggy guy. I was the comfortable guy. I was the one everyone could, you know, talk to about anything they were struggling with and I would help them out. Yeah, I had a lot of compassion, a lot of empathy, a lot of just heart. And, but I also was the type of person that would really cling to relationships too. So, you know, back in university, I was the guy who wrote 20 letters a week to my friends to keep up the mail connection. Okay. And then when emails first started, I was the guy who, you know, put together several email group chats with the people that I wanted to talk to. So I was always really good at connecting with people via email. Yeah. I was very proactive about doing that kind of stuff where a lot of people, you know, people fall off. Like I would never be the one that fell out of touch with somebody. It was always the other person. Okay. And so that's always been something that I've noticed is kind of part of who I am. I, I love people. I love connecting. I love having conversations about, you know, every single deep topic you can think of. And so I think that uh, drives a lot of what I've done, but also drives a lot of the failure. Like when I think about the fact that I had a job, you know, in engineering for four years in front of a computer, not talking to anybody for 10 hours a day, 
I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> why, would yeah. I, why would I even do that? Because I, I didn't think about knowing myself and who I was. But now that I know, I was like, wow, I can't believe I spent 40 years doing that. Totally. Well, I mean, Lisa was only, you said four years? Yeah. Yeah. Lisa was only four. Cause I mean, obviously yeah. there's people are doing that for, for many years and you've got the, the self-awareness um, to see that, but you know, like, where's that coming from? Is that, is there someone in your family or is this, you know, just something that naturally uh, has always been a part of, of your world and you're starting, to, I guess you went through that, that period obviously of doing a, a job that didn't make sense, but then you, f- you fell into quite quickly into the space that really lights you up or matches more naturally with your personality? I think I got a lot of this from my parents. Um, Both my parents are what I would call extroverts. Both of them were social centers of their and spheres of influence in their communities. It's like when there's a dinner party, my dad would be the one making the jokes and 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 he would be able to talk and connect to anybody no matter what type of person they were. My mom was the social center where all the women would call her for uh, you know, advice about their lives, and she would give them, you know, comfort, relief, support. And, uh, you know, my mom's a nurturer, so I'm a nurturer by nature. So I think a lot of those things kind of um, came my way, and I just kind of felt the same way. I saw what they did, and I kind of liked what they did, and and I've kind of always been the same. Um, and that's also moved on to, like, how I am with my my kids, you know, and yeah. my wife and my friends. And, um, yeah, it means a lot to me. In fact, you know, and also it goes the other way. When when I get uh, a disappointing situation with one of my close friends, it, it hurts me. Like I, I, it really hurts, and I have I have to like I have to process it and try to deal with it because like, oh man, why do they do that? Why do they say that? Or why does it have to be this way? You know, mm-hmm. I I, de- I hold I hold it heavy to my heart sometimes. I'm glad you brought that up because it it's I actually do some uh, work with a men's group here locally. Um, like I, I'm not facilitating, I'm a part of it. And we, I remember we had a guy in our group that really reminds me of how you're describing yourself is like he would leave the group and it would take a couple of days to recover because he was, you know, we were listening, we were taking in, we were holding space, being supportive for people. Um, but he was like feeling every emotion that was, was mm-hmm. coming up for all the guys. Um that's got to be a lot. I mean, I mean, it, have you found ways over over the years to help process or balance that? Because it's such a beautiful trait, but at the same time, just hearing you speak about it, and again, knowing one person in my life that that has something similar, like that's that's heavy, right? Or well, candy. what I can yeah, what I can say is my therapist says that you're really good <laughs> at uh, handling a lot of it. So I can take a lot of crap from all different directions and still be able to be resilient and, and pass through stuff. One, and one of the reasons why I can do it well, I think, now is because I'm, I'm very good at compartmentalizing everything. I separate them into different groups. And, uh, you know, like if I have a really terrible meeting or a terrible friend situation or even an argument with my, my wife, let's say, uh, as soon as the kids are home, I'm in that moment with the kids doing what I need to do for them. And sure. I'm very good at doing that. Whereas I know some people, you mentioned your, your, your colleague might be gone for days. I'm, I'm not. Um, I will be, I'll be able to switch over to the next thing and I don't need that time to like, I'll take time to process afterwards. Okay. Right. I was going to, that was my follow up. (laughs) But, but, but I, but I will, uh, if the next, like uh, right now I I could have had a horrible argument just before the, before this, uh, podcast. Right. But, uh, but I'm in the zone with Mark, man. I got to make sure I'm talking about what I'm talking about and helping people with my purpose. So I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty good about doing that. I'm very mindful of that. Okay. 
So how did you, how did all the brand work? Cause I mean, you're, you're obviously quite passionate about personal brand and I'm just, I wrote down some words just going through uh, some of your talks and, and some of the material out there, but you know, just helping leaders who are lost or stuck. How did, how did that whole journey, you know, arise in, in your, uh, in your path? Well, part of it came from um, going through myself. Um, you know, when I was an engineer, like I said, I'm talking to nobody for 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. That's where I felt a little bit lost. And then when I left engineering, what do I do now? I felt like, okay, am I, am I stuck in, in a tech role? I don't want to do tech anymore. Uh, I, tried, I tried brand marketing, didn't feel fulfilled. And so all those feelings kind of followed my story along in terms of what I wanted to do. Um, so, so that's one thing in terms of do that, doing that. Once I, be, once I finally figured out what I want to do as a speaker, then the other thing is because I'm uh, you know, heart-centric, one of the things that helps too is I'm really open to feedback and I take people's feedback seriously and I'm open to changing and I, and I evolve. And so the branding thing came along actually when I uh, did a speech. Um, I remember on networking and I talked about how important your promises to people and what's your brand and what people re- remember about you. And people love that. Like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And I was like, oh, I guess personal branding is a topic that resonates. And so after I did that one speech, I said, like, let me talk more about personal branding. And that's what I did. I started kind of going with that path. My entire speaking career over the last 14, 15 years has definitely evolved as I listen to people and audiences and clients as I kind of you know, think about what's more important now. So now we focus on this and now I'm going to focus more on thought leadership. Now I'm going to focus more on people feeling, you know, people who are stuck or unfulfilled. And so part of it also comes with listening all the time to feedback and evolving uh, in a very open way because you have to. You can't just stay the way you are. Otherwise, you're going to fall behind. That's yeah, totally. I mean, I, I I get that aspect of it. I'm curious. I mean, so you're you're getting in. Obviously, you're you're taking in feedback, uh, which has been super important for you. Like, what's your like? What's tactically speaking or day to day? Like, what's your process like when it comes to the the topics you're speaking on? I mean, it's um, I know I'd imagine you have a you know a few tracks that are kind of well oiled and that you're updating. But like, what is that? What does that look like for you, you know, when you're making those shifts and whatnot? Because is, is, is it a live testing kind of thing, you know, the next presentation? Or do you have like a co- close group of friends that you'll bounce this off of? I'm curious for anyone listening that's trying to get into speaking to share a little bit about your, your process. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I wrote an article many years ago about mentorship. And, you know, and one of the things I realized that is that I didn't have mentors at the time. But I did write an article that said mentorship, it takes a village. And yeah. what I can tell you is that I have a village of people that help me. So my father, my wife, uh, my speaking agent, uh, my audiences, I am constantly looking for advice, feedback on exactly what uh, you know, I'm trying to do and what I'm, trying, what I'm trying to say and how I can impact people. And so that village of, of mentors has always given me advice throughout the year. So for me, a process is really to... Like when I do a speech, for example, someone says afterwards, hey, Bobby, I loved it. It was so great. I say, great. That's, thank you. Uh, what resonated with you and why? I always ask that because I want to learn from the audience mm-hmm. what, what they remember. And when I know what remembers, um, what they remember, then I'm actually able to leverage it. Like the one that always you know, surprised me sometimes, and I still think about this, is they, they say, Bobby, you're so hilarious. I'm like, really? Okay, well, what was hilarious? <laughs> Tell me because I'm yeah. like, no. Because I don't go in thinking I'm going to be hilarious. I think I'm going to try to be amusing. 
not hilarious. Sure. And uh, they, they point out the stories and I'm like, oh, okay, you know what, then I'll, I'll use those stories again. And so like, you know, some of my stories that I use in my talks, I've been using for 15 years because they're gold, right? And yeah, so um, that to me is a big process. When I, when I speak at an event, I'll often ask organizers, was there a feedback process? Can I see the results of the feedback? So for me, that's where I get a lot of information. I also now have a mentor now, officially an official mentor, where I'll, where I'll visit um, every once in a while to you know talk about speaking, talk about the business. Sure. And then finally, I have my best friends. You know, I call them the Council of Omar, my four <laughs> best friends of life, who I see and I talk to about what's going on in life, and they give me lots of great feedback as well. In fact, yeah. they're the ones who uh, were the final catalyst for me to launch my speaking career, where they said, oh, really? "Hey, Bobby, you ever thought about uh, you ever thought about uh, becoming a speaker?" I'm like you know what? I have. Thank you for saying that. And I've been ignoring it for like six years. And then finally, when they said, okay, maybe I should take this seriously. Love it. What, what was the, going back to that time, like what was your first step to you? Cause you, you mentioned that you clearly, you could feel it, that it was something that you wanted to do. Um, and then you had those four friends um, question a bit, but like, then what, what was next after that? What got you into it as, as the first little micro step? Well, the first thing was um, another person who had been talking to me for years that I was ignoring was a speaking guy named Sanjay Nath. Okay. And, uh, and I met him for lunch. I said, hey, listen, I've decided to finally do speaking. He's like, oh, that's great. And then we had this lunch, and then he gave me a ton <laughs> of advice. And the first thing he said was, what are your three topics? I'm like, oh, my three, to- three topics. Eh? Okay. And so then I came up with my three topics. And as soon as I came up with my three topics, the first thing I did was I had an, this is before the days of LinkedIn and Facebook, right? I had an Excel sheet of 3,000 contacts that I'd kept over the years and built up. Remember I said I was a connector, right? Yeah. And so I sent an email to 3,000 people. And I said, hey, this is what I'm doing, guys. And I had it all laid out in terms of what I was going to do, what I was gonna, my, my topics and things like that. And I just basically said, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I didn't actually have a business plan. I didn't actually have a plan in mind. I just kind of went up there. I mean, in retrospect, of course, it would have been better to have a plan. But back then, I just wanted to get it out there. That, that's what I was doing. And the first few years of the business was all referrals, right? Sure. Um, but one thing that did help me, though, actually, I did take a program. It was like a, it was a college program through, with government funding to put together a business plan and promote my business. And it was amazing because it was like a 12-week program. But I learned more in 12 weeks than I did in my entire two-year MBA in terms of how to actually run my business. Because yeah. MBA is very philosophical and theoretical, right? Sure. This was like really tactical. I was like, this is great information. And it, it forced me to put together a business plan, make a case study, do a competitor analysis, and then prove to my audience why my business will be successful. And by doing that whole business plan over 12 weeks, I felt, yeah, you know what? I think I can do this. And uh, that was really nice. It really helped me. And so uh, often when I talk to people, I'll say, hey, you know, putting together a business plan, failing the plan is planning to fail. So I'm a big believer in planning, but I'm also a big believer in just starting. And so I find the the the, the contrast between the, between the two quite interesting. But are, there are two things I think are really important. Well, I think it you know just listening to you speak, it gives you know the program or you know chatting with your mentors and whatnot. It gives you the confidence to take that first step, right? Uh, who knows what's going to happen, but at least you know you, you feel internally like you've got somewhat of a, a plan there. And, and you nailed it though. There's, I mean, there's so many people that, that want to speak or want to do X and are stuck in the planning mode forever. So there's a fine balance there where you just have to kind of put a foot in the water and, and, and test it out. But yeah. Yeah. And every single yeah. speaker I talk to that I, that I work with, their biggest problem is they have bad topics or they don't have topics. Like 
sure. come up with that. And the topics are based on your audience and based on knowing your brand and based on knowing your expertise is. But ultimately, what are those topics that you're going to, to, to share with the world? And, and you know, is, there, is, is it viable? Does the world need it? Will people pay for it? Like, these are things, but it, it really comes down to the topics. Sure, sure. Um, I'd love to chat a little bit about just your mental prep. And maybe we'll, we'll, cause I, I forgot about the whole haste and hustle thing up until when I was doing the research. <laughs> and you know, if you remember that first haste and hustle, that was a hell of an event. Oh <laughs> yeah, was, that was amazing. There, there was a few logistical things, let's just say, I mean, I'll bring the audience uh, up to speed quickly. It was still a great event, but I'm curious from, you know, someone like yourself who is there to speak in front uh, of a large number of people there's also the added, and maybe this isn't pressure, but the, the added, I know there, you know, you wanted to link up with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk was there, yeah. uh, Casey Neistat, they're there. And, and as, you know, for the audience, what happened was, I'm pretty sure it was literally the day before the event was going live, uh, there was a venue change and no one kind of knew why people were coming in from out of town. Yeah. And, and I remember we were staying at that hotel that, uh, the, the event was supposed to take place at. And then next thing you know, we're all in a church, which made for some really interesting uh, opening remarks for, for a lot of the speakers, uh, which maybe, maybe it helped in, in one case. But I'm curious for you, Bobby, you know, you know, going into something like that, mentally preparing and all of this, and then you have something completely obviously out of your control that, that kind of rocks the, the logistics and, and, and the setup Did I mean, did that a, I guess, bother you? And, and even if it didn't, you know, how are, how do you manage things like that? Because that happens all the time, maybe not to that ex extent, but I'm curious uh, if you've developed any ways to manage change like that. That's a good question. You know, I, I'm also pretty good with that too. When things happen like that, I kind of roll with it. I'm very, a lot of my second city training with improvisation has really helped me be more adaptable and flexible to when things happen or things go wrong. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether it's like a, sorry, there's no mic or oh, by the way, if you do the, do it in this, in this fashion or things like that. In fact, I'll give you, but the other thing is as a speaker and as a professional, uh, having done this for so long, uh, I also know what I'm capable of asking for help on and what uh, I'm capable of just stopping. I'll give you a, a quick story, which is yeah. when I did my fifth TEDx talk, um, I got there and uh, I was going around the, around the middle of the day and some people had gone on and they had, they had some tech issues. I was like, Oh boy, I hope I don't have tech issues. But the first thing I noticed was that they didn't have a comfort screen for me. And because Ted talks are so um, minimal slides, I didn't want to spend all my time turning my back to the audience. So I set up a computer, a laptop in the front row with somebody cause they didn't do it. And then I got on stage and I noticed right away that my slides were not on. So I just, and so, you know, this is like live, the clock is going, you know, yeah. boom, boom, yeah. boom, right? Uh, the, the, the timer, right? And then I was like, slides, please. That's all I said, slides, please. And nothing happened. Then the slides come on for 30 seconds later, which felt like an eternity. Well, yeah. and, then I, and then I saw the slides were cut off, like by literally like 20% on the left side. And I was like, this is terrible. And so I looked at this, the clock's going, ka-choom, ka And I finally said, you know what? I'd like to start over, please. That's all wow. I said. And I, walk, and I walked back off the stage. And what was interesting is that other people had, had the same technical difficulties, but I was like, look, uh, I'm a professional speaker. I want to deliver to the audience. I want to do a good job for the event, for my audience, and for myself. And to not have the slides working properly, that's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. 
So, and the other people were like, who had done this already, they're like, oh, I can't believe, I, I wish I had stopped my mine and got the tech right because I didn't know I could do it. I said, well, it's because, you know, I'm a professional speaker. I've done this for years. They were just first-time TED talkers. They didn't know actually they could just say, I could, you're allowed to stop. If sure. things are terrible, <laughs> you're allowed to stop. Right. <laughs> if you feel like you're going to throw up, you're allowed to stop. Right. So uh, I stopped it. And I can tell you, my heart was racing like crazy, but it was like nerve wracking. But I was like, at the end of the day, like, no, no, I want to deliver the best job I can. So it comes back down to my, my focus and my purpose. Right. So when yeah. I think about my why statement, I think about the people I serve, I think about what I'm doing. Uh, I'm able to use that as a lightning rod for everything I do, whether it's a decision to stop that TED talk after it started or whether it's to do something else or deal with some other sort of kerfuffle. So for yeah. me, that's kind of how I mentally process that stuff. And then the other big thing is something that I learned years and years ago when I was a producer of a musical theater company, because musical theater and productions are just crazy. And if you're a producer, everything goes wrong. And so <laughs> one of the things I've learned is always this big thing, which is what are you going to do about it? Right? Yeah. That's the big thing. This happened. What are you going to do about it? Okay. So I always think about that when it happens. So basically this has happened. What am I going to do about it? And when I think about that, I'm able to come up with some ideas quickly in that five, 10 minutes and then try to move on with it. Well, and it, you know, I'd imagine, I, I don't know what the stat would be, but I would imagine in a, like a high number of people would have plowed through that presentation and just, it just felt like terrible, right? <laughs> Going through yeah. it. And, and I mean, no one wins in that case. I'm curious. So did you, did you restart with with the ability to actually fix the slides or just say, Hey, scrap the slides. I'm going up and, and, and doing this. Great question. So the slides, they, I said they took about 20 minutes of tech to try to figure it out. They couldn't fix it. And I, I made the point that, listen, you need to do a tech run next time to make sure the slides are working because this is something that makes every Ted speaker nervous and I'm yeah. a professional and everyone else is probably even more and more nervous than I am. So keep that in mind for next time. Uh, we have then agreed to a compromise where, they would videotape me and then when they created the video, because what I really cared about was the video. When, yeah. you, when you're doing TED Talk, you want a really good video. Sure. And so they said they'll take, they'll take the original slides and intersperse them into the video. And I said, that's great. Just do that then. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Is there anything else? Um, I know, you know, when we talked, when did we talk? We were right in the middle of the holidays, I believe. Yeah. Um, because a lot of this stuff that you're talking about in terms of being able to, to react and process things like this on the fly uh, it is so familiar in the sense of the, the space that I operate in, right? And just mental right. fitness or mindfulness type practices. And there's so many, right? There's journaling, meditation, breath work, all these things, exercise. I'm curious if there's anything um, like that that you have in your regular routine um, to help you process this stuff. Like, in, and not just speaking, but just, just life in general, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a something I've been trying to do for a long time. I mean, I, I had a therapist for a psychotherapist for a lot of my uh, binge eating food addiction issues. Um, I've, I've, I've done therapy and counseling. I've tried meditation. Um, yeah, like the, there's, I've, I've had a hard time with meditation. I find it really difficult. I've tried to be mindful in the shower or have mindful moments for 10 minutes. I find it very difficult. My mind okay. is like all over the place. Yeah. Um, I, what I find really helps me is two things. One is writing things down. Yeah. So writing down ideas, lists, uh, how I'm feeling, processing the stuff that's in my head, laying it all out. I find that to be really helpful. Um, the second thing I find is extended um, retreats. So going okay. away for a full day, like for a, a spa day, that that's great. 
because it takes me at yeah. least two, three hours to eventually decompose. In fact, when I went on vacation to uh, Cuba one time, the first two days, I just couldn't let go of the world. Of and course. then on the third day, finally, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm here, Zen. I can kind of be into it. It took me a long time to just get away from that, all the, the, the noise and the clutter. So I need, I need a larger or a longer amount of time to get away from things and really you know, decompress. Well, I'd imagine, I mean, myself included, and a lot, a lot of people listening, uh, we, we fall into that same boat. <laughs> it usually takes, it usually takes a few days to to really unplug. I mean, and not surprisingly, like we're we're getting nailed almost twenty four hours a day with content and you right. know reaction mode type things. Uh, it yes. takes a bit to stop that hamster wheel. Um, the the one thing I did want to talk about because I, uh, where I was going with when we we had chatted around the holidays, yeah, you were pretty excited and I think uh, respectfully so about the latest advancements or the latest uh, results in some uh, weight loss and a new exercise and diet program and whatnot, which I think was helping on a mental side of things as well. I mean, I'd, I'd love for you to share that. Yeah, so um, I, I've been struggling with my weight for many, many years. And I've, uh, about, about six years ago, I started this thing called Fit My Life, the hashtag. And the idea was, and that's also a Facebook group, the idea was to try to get more fit in my life, but also I struggled to make everything fit in my life. And mm-hmm. so it was a journey that I shared and talked about with that double entendre. And uh, I've been kind of yo-yoing the different things that I've tried over the years, whether it's you know Weight Watchers or point counting or 30-day weight loss challenges for money and, and various uh, you know mindfulness and things like that. I finally last year decided to do keto after ignoring it for many years because I was like, I didn't think it was going to work, but it did. And uh, I lost 45 pounds, um, which is, and I'm at the lightest wow. weight I've been in 25 years. But the mindset shift was actually a really interesting thing, which was uh, and what's even better was there was an article written just two couple of days ago in the um, my local paper, the Toronto Star, where they that. actually featured they featured. Yeah. It. I was like, "Whoa, that's cool!" I was like, oh, "It was awesome." Uh, and one of the things they talked about is the fact that I was taking all the information I got over the last six years and picking all the things that I wanted to do that would work and things that wouldn't work because I'm trying to create something sustainable. So number one, a big piece of sustainability. I got to do mm-hmm. something that's going to work for me because every single person is different, and that's yeah. an important piece around mindset. Uh, and the second thing was uh, around mindset shift, which was doing keto made me start to change my mindset around carbs, which is like, in, like you know, how I would see ice cream or cake as a treat. I would now see carbs as a treat. So my mindset shifted around carbs. Oh, let me enjoy this, you know, nice piece of bread. Let me enjoy this nice one cup of, you know, basmati rice. And that kind of gratitude and that mindfulness around the carbs itself uh, actually is great as opposed to just eating it as a base and just slopping stuff all over and eating like two plates of food. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's really adjusted kind of how I look at food because now I'll t- take, yeah, I'll take a piece of bread and I'll, and I'll just savor it. Uh, I was like, wow, okay, this is something that I really, I'm, I'm really relishing because I'm, and I'm also looking at higher quality food and I'm not eating all the crap food I used to eat because <laughs> totally. uh, you want, you want good, you want good rice and good bread and good pasta. Right. And so, yeah, that mindset shift has been, really great uh, and really helpful, particularly when I go off it. Cause when I, and, and when I go off it, and then there's other things that the, the article we mentioned, which is I stubbornly refuse to give up popcorn because I love popcorn so much, but mm-hmm. I still able to have the success, even though keto quote unquote shuns popcorn, but sure. I still have popcorn a couple of times a week and I still lost the weight. So it also tells me that, you know, you don't have to be super strict. You can still do what works for you and test things out 
And as long as it's about food intake and making healthy choices, uh, you can make an impact. Speaking of popcorn, we had a great popcorn session yesterday at our house. So I'll <laughs> virtual, virtual high five you on that. My three-year-old devoured that bowl uh, along with his mother and father. So it's all good. <laughs> so, so do you think, Bobby, the, um, because what I wanted to ask, and I think you answered a bit of it, but it, you know, you've tried a lot of things obviously over the years and it's been something that is, it sounds like has been a uh, you know, struggle all, most of your life. Like, what do you, do you think it's just those years of really tailoring that prescription to you and knowing what, what works? Or is there something else that has led to uh, this success? Hmm. It's hard to say. I mean, now that I've had the success, the question was like, why did you try this sooner? But you know, the, the truth is we're never ready when it's yeah. something really, really big. And again, weight, body image, food addiction, everything. This is something I've been doing my whole life. It is a big deal. Just oh, like yeah. something big like a divorce or grief. It's not, you're not going to find that first thing that's going to help you right away. It's going to take a long time. So yes, I, think, I don't think that there was a shortcut here. I think that the journey had to be six years the way it was. I mean, there might have been a few areas to, I could have tried keto sooner, who knows. But for the most part, it doesn't happen quickly. For a really big, Mots of all type, you know, yeah. issues like this. It takes time. Um, and then the ones I, I the ones I think about right away are grief or divorce uh, or you sure. know or um, or doing this type of lifestyle change with your weight and body image. Well, there seems to be a bit of a baseline in there of just almost reframing your relationship as well, right? Like you kind of mentioned mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, what you're getting gratitude from in terms of of different foods, and then also you're making that realization of um i'm actually mixing a couple interviews here uh i had interviewed kevin rose and his wife daria rose and daria is actually a a food a foodist is what she calls in a neuroscientist and and she basically said the very similar thing to what you're saying is if you're going to have the chocolate cake then have a good quality chocolate cake. Yeah. You know, and, and the reason I bring it up is just, it, it, I'm hearing that layered into what you're saying about just the relationship that you've got with uh, different foods. And uh, I think that's something Well, the we same thing applies to everything. Like, yeah. It applies to everything. It applies to content, the people you hang out with, conversation you have. You want to have the highest quality food. You want to have the highest quality impact of exercise. You want to have the highest quality connection that you talk to. You want to have the highest quality of time that you spend with your children or even things like this podcast, like uh, quality time and everything's got to be of higher quality. If you do that, your gratitude goes up tremendously, but also the impact in your life goes up tremendously too. Love I don't want that. to have just silly conversation about the weather. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Um, I'd love to get any type of self-reflective questions that, and whether you're journaling or not, sounds like you do a bit of writing, but even if you're not writing these down, um, you know, these are, these are journaling prompts for the audience uh, that usually I try to get two to three and they could be questions that you find yourself asking on a frequent basis or during bigger life changing events. And the, the whole purpose or goal is to really help anyone else listening that may be resonating with your story and that a question like that could help them where, wherever they're at right now in their journey. Hmm. Anything okay. comes to mind? Well, yeah, there's a few. I mean, uh, one would be uh, just the empathy questions I always ask myself. So whenever I deal with any sort of situation that requires empathy, there's three, three questions I ask myself. Right? Number one, can I understand 
what they're feeling. Hmm. Number two, can I understand why they're feeling that way? And number three, is there any way I can support those feelings? And I find yeah. those three questions help me with my relationship with my wife, my children, my friends, helps me with cyberbullying on, on, on tw- Twitter and elsewhere in any sort of interaction I have. So that's, that's one kind of set of questions. Another question I always ask myself really is, uh, you know, what have I learned today that it can make me better tomorrow? Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, I ask my kids every day, what did you learn today? But for me, same thing. If you, if you call my voicemail, it'll actually say, tell me something you learned. Tell me one thing you learned today. It's on my voicemail. Oh, that's nice. So for me, the learning, the feedback thing that I've already talked about, it's a huge part uh, of what I do. And then the third thing is all about connection, which is, you know, um, who are the people that matter to me and who can I ask for help or support in whatever I'm going through? Yeah. And that, that question is really important because people in your life will change and evolve as you go along and you want to make sure that you're mindful of who they are and and if you're going through something, you know, you can, and you're struggling, it's okay to ask for help and then to figure out who that support system is going to be. I think that's so important. And the reason I like that question is because it's easier for us to kind of clutter up our mental real estate with relationships that may no longer serve where we're at in our life right now versus, mm-hmm. you know, when you think of a physical space, you can, you can actually see it, right? And, man, there's a lot of stuff in my living room. I've got to clean this up. I can't really navigate around. But when it comes to our mind, it's, it's, it's harder to see that. And I think, you know, with the emotions associated with relationships, it's, it makes it really hard to, you know what, I'm very grateful for, you know, you or whatever that, and maybe there isn't a conversation that has to take place. And maybe it's just something that has to be done uh, with yourself. But just a question like what you left is just taking a bit of time, stopping the autopilot, having that micro reflection of, you know, who really do matter in my life and, and giving those people the attention versus trying to please, you know, relationships that may be 20 plus or whoever, like name the number of years old that just for whatever reason, there could be a million reasons why that has, has evolved, right? Totally, totally. And I think that a lot of times we, um, I mean, you make, you make a really good point about the fact that there are relationships that we hang on to just for loyalty perspective, but is it truly adding value to our lives? We have to kind of think of those things. Yeah, totally. Last question for you, sir. What, you know, what excites you about the future of connection and relationships? I mean, you're living, you're living the, the live physical presence world, but you're also very much living the online world. And I'd love your perspective on, on what's getting you excited about the future of those, those ecosystems. Yeah, you know, I'm working on a new uh, talk this year called The Future of Connection. And one of the things that I think about that's really fascinating is that we have so much opportunity to get our voice out there, to amplify it, to find an audience. And so to me, that's the most exciting part about, you know, social media and technology and things like that is being able to, everyone has a chance. Everyone has a voice that they can, I mean, I was always believe that everyone has a voice, they have to find it. But sure. now I, I would say everyone has an opportunity to amplify that voice in whatever direction or means that they want, which I think is super exciting because sure. you can start, you can, you can find a, you can find an audience globally just by even doing a podcast around a really super unique topic. Maybe you want to talk about Dungeons and Dragons and one specific character and pretty soon you have like hundred people that love you and follow mm-hmm. you for that, that one topic. I think that is amazing. And I love that. And, and while we're, we're going to struggle with the integration of technology and social media and the online offline aspects of our lives, um, there is tremendous opportunity for us to actually 
get good at it, learn how to integrate it properly for the means that we want for our lives. And I think that's really important, especially now that we're moving to like a, we have a knowledge economy, a gig economy, people working from home, uh, thought leadership is really, really important. People are looking for authenticity and deep human connection. So for me, being part of that and being a steward in that area and helping people is, is awesome. I love it. Amazing. And, you know, I just want to acknowledge you and thank you for your time, Bobby. It's, uh, you know, having experience here in this format, but also live at a couple events now. Um, a huge thanks for the work, the energy and the, and the vibe you're putting out there. And, and you know, I'm, I'm super happy you, you found, you didn't stay in that, that engineering role um, <laughs> and, and pushed out of that, that job because, I mean, you're, you're helping a lot of people and kind of going full circle back to that bio and description. Um, it's a nice thing to see when someone's really in it and you can feel that authenticity and you're doing, doing your best out there. So thank you. Thanks, Mark. I'm delighted to be here and I really appreciate your kind words. 